thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we aim to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays, and with me is Jay Jones. Good morning. Good morning, George. This is Text Driven Tuesday. It is. Monday for us. Yeah, it is Monday for us. Text Driven Tuesday for you, as you're on your way to work or wherever you're going or whatever you're doing. How was your weekend? It was pretty good. Um, I gauge the weekends mainly on if I get a Sunday afternoon nap. Okay. <laughs> All right. And I got one. Okay. All right. That's like my reset right there. Well, congratulations. Yeah. I no, it was a good I didn't weekend. Get one. Got to play, uh, watch some baseball on Saturday. Um, that's always a great time. Baseball's back after having last year canceled because of COVID. Which I don't know why you'd ever cancel an outside sport where people are spread apart by like ninety feet. <laughs> right. But whatever. It happened. Yeah. But they're back. Probably the same reason that you see people driving by themselves wearing a mask. Yeah. But the boys are back. Spitballs are off limits as usual. Okay. But even more so now that COVID is <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh but we had church. Great! It was a good day. Sunday, mm-hmm, had a, we had our regular church. Then I had a big old nap, and then I got to come back to church again. Okay, very nice for the members' meeting. Had some people join the church, which was great. Um, so it was great. All right. How about you? It's a busy weekend. Yeah, you had a busy, busy weekend. weekend. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it was uh, so Josiah turned two. Mm-hmm. So we had a birthday party, uh, but I also had to preach a funeral. Unexpected and, uh, funeral surprise, kind of a surprise. Yeah, yeah. It was an unexpected funeral. So just a busy, just a busy weekend. But uh, Sunday was good. Yeah, and uh, looking forward to talking about John seventeen with you. Mm-hmm. So let's. Uh, it's it's a. There's a lot packed in to uh, these verses that you uh, that you went through uh, on Sunday. So. Let's uh let's now, now right do you in. know why some people did it in forty five sermons? I do. <laughs> <laughs> We're not doing that. Yeah. yeah. So who was that was that Thomas Manton mm-hmm. that did forty five and Lloyd Jones did forty eight, is that yeah. what he said? Yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all with Lloyd Jones. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm sure there's someone that's done even more. Yeah, he's got a big book in there. It's like five hundred pages. Okay. Just on this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, we are jumping into John chapter 17. Um, if you uh, are using an ESV like we are, the heading says the high priestly prayer. Yeah. So uh, I've heard this called the real Lord's Prayer. Right. You know, uh, Matthew 6 has Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray, but yeah. this is Jesus actually praying. Yeah, yeah. The other, the other prayer would maybe... Better be called the disciples' mm-hmm. prayer. He's like, "Hey, here's how I want you to pray." Right? Yeah. This is Jesus actually praying. Yeah. yeah. Um, this has been. Uh, I mean, this is this is a huge chapter. Like like you said, um, people have preached it in forty eight sermons. Mm-hmm. You're going to do it in five. Yeah. I'm sure it'd be just as good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so set us set the context. Uh, get us back into John because this is this is kind of the the end of a big section, right? So just remind us. Don't don't preach the whole <clears throat> right. the whole section again, but the, remind uh, us of the of the context. 
the Gospel of John's kind of broken down um, around Jesus's life in a way that you can grasp easily. Um, you know, again, it's it's important to realize John didn't create these things. So when you start talking about this, you can say, well, John's the author. He framed it how he wanted. Well, this actually happened. He just arranged this in a way uh, to, 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 to deliver what the Holy Spirit wants him to communicate. So the first part of it is about uh, Jesus' public ministry. It's where all the signs take place. And that he did more he did more miracles than John records, but he records specific signs because they reveal things they reveal about like a sign would point on the road. These signs reveal who Jesus is. So the public ministry, I mean, it's in front of thousands of people. Who knows how many people? And uh, Jesus does a sign. Often then he will teach or have an exchange, a dialogue with people, which elaborates on who he is. And that's the public ministry of Jesus. He's calling people to himself. He's revealing who he is. And after the resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. It's a Passover week, and he goes with the disciples on the evening of Passover, and he and that's where the, the text shifts to the private ministry of Jesus with his disciples. That's chapters 13 through the end of 17. And so 13 through 16 is Jesus just preparing them teaching them what it means to be a disciple. It starts with a foot washing. And so he teaches them what does it mean to be a disciple, what does it look like to follow him. And obviously, as he talks to them about him departing, they're, you know, they're troubled. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. That comes up several times. So he begins to teach them about the Holy Spirit, and we learn all of that great stuff. We learn what it means to be in relationship with he and the Father and, the, and his great picture of the vine, that he is the true vine. And uh, so as this section ends, they apparently are getting up and they leave that upper room somewhere between the upper room and the garden. Jesus looks up to heaven and says these words. So the John 17 starts when Jesus had spoken these words. Well, what words? Well, what happened in 13 through 16? Um, that private ministry to the disciples, preparing them uh, for his death, burial, and resurrection, and then going out into the world. And so then he lifts up his eyes to heaven, and he starts to pray, and, you know, I would assume they were right there watching. Uh, this may be a unexpected question. Okay. So you, right. may, you may not have even thought about this. Mm. So we've got this huge prayer. It's, it's packed with theology, um, deep theology. Uh -huh. um, you, you, you mentioned that at the beginning of the sermon. This is like eavesdropping. Mm -hmm. on the son talking to the father. Yeah. Um we've got four gospels. This is the only the only gospel that has this prayer. We have Jesus praying in all of the gospels, okay. uh, going to the garden and, and praying. Did you come across or did you think any anything about why John is the only one that recorded this prayer? Is is there something about John's <clears throat> theology in the book as a whole that that would because there the the gospel writers they're they're not giving you know the everything that happened they're even right. john says there's there's many other so things. much thing there's so many things that he did that the world right. couldn't contain the books so they're 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 picking and choosing based on what they're trying to communicate so yeah. is there something particular about john's theology <clears throat> in his gospel that that would cause him to include this prayer um I don't know if there's anything particular about his theology. I mean, he has a theology of glory, 
that's clear. I, mean, I, I talked about the words glory and glorify are used like 48 times mm-hmm. in John's gospel, and that's more than all of the other gospels combined. Okay. That's one possibility. Okay. Um, I would think. Um, the other possibility that I hadn't considered is perhaps John was the one who heard this. Okay. He's the disciple who Jesus loves. He's often the one closest to Jesus yeah. in the narratives. He's the one that reclines on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's possible that he or maybe him and the three, or the group of three, the inner circle. Do you think this is this is part of the prayer that Jesus prays in the garden when he's he's he brings the three along and says, "Pray with me because my my heart is grieved." Mm. Do Do you think that maybe that's part of it, or is or is he still? I don't think so because of the transition that happens in eighteen. Okay. It says, after he spoke these things, they went out with the disciples across the brook Kidron, mm, okay. and then he looks like he goes into the garden. Okay. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, um, other than that possibility, maybe. Okay. John actually heard the words word for word, yeah. um, so he records them. Mm. Maybe the other disciples heard parts of it, and the Holy Spirit didn't inspire them to write it because he knew that John would record it in detail. Yeah. I don't know. So. I, I ask it, I mean, from my own curiosity, but also because you're going to have people who are are reading this and they're thinking, all right, why is John including this and the others aren't including it? So it's good for us to yeah. maybe remind people that the the biblical authors they're not they're not trying to give this detailed, exhaustive biography of of Jesus's life, right? And so the the things that they include or the things that they leave out. It's it's like John including um, the resurrection of Lazarus when the other yeah. the other gospels don't. It's, it's because they're trying to communicate something particular about yeah. Jesus. So each of the gospels is focusing on something in particular, and so what they include or don't include is one going the, along with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things if if we look at it from that angle, theology. What is John in particular getting at? His his gospel starts differently than all the others. He mm-hmm, starts it does. John starts before time <laughs> right. and space even even exists. So the beginning words of John match almost Genesis one one. Right, um, and that but but he tells us that the one who created was Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning was the Word. That's that's the pre incarnate Christ. He doesn't have a name yet because he's not been born. Right. He's the eternal Son, the second person. Yeah. And so he says, "The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw the glory of God in a person." Yeah. So glory, as we said, is this theme. Jesus is God. Right. And this is perhaps why the prayer is included. Yeah, it's kind of bringing us back to the beginning of the mm-hmm. gospel. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, things to think about. Yeah. You know, uh, you know the the. Uh, I think one of the testimonies to the fact that this is inspired is that you go back and you never exhaust the riches of the scripture. There's always something that you can meditate upon. Something yeah. like that comes up that's new. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just evidence to the fact that this is not just an ordinary book. It, it comes from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, so this is this is Jesus praying to the Father. Uh, this high priestly prayer. I don't know if you want to talk about that any this time, yeah, or I mean, we want to get into it a little bit more. Yeah, well, in, in subsequent on sermon weeks. number three, I think we'll get into it a little bit more. Okay. Um, maybe a tiny bit next week, but okay. um, it's enough to say I think that uh, Jesus here goes into what we'd say is the Holy of Holies before. Mm. Before the Father, and he consecrates himself first, like a high priest would, okay. and 
then he makes intercession for his people, okay. like the high priest of Israel would, right. um, as he prefer, prepares to make atonement for the sins of his people okay. with his own blood. Okay. Um, so Jesus starts out um, by praying for himself. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, it's easy for us to read through this and not really think about what is actually going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, you're slowing us down and causing us to to think more deeply upon these small sections. Yeah. And so you're doing this in five weeks, and the reason you're doing that is because... I wanted to try to stick closer to the petitions themselves. Okay. Right. So Jesus prays for himself, and then we'll, we'll kind of... Uh, we won't go with a direct petition. I mean, it's there, but we're answering, and next week we'll ask and answer this question. Okay. Jesus prays for himself. Now he prays for people. Mm-hmm. Who is he praying for, and why is he praying for them? Okay, because it's clear he's praying for particular people. Right. So we want to look at that in detail because that can really help us to have a correct understanding of what Jesus is doing when he dies on the cross, mm-hmm. and what he's doing now. What's he doing in heaven right now? Right. Um, so that's important. Who is he praying for, and why? And then the directly into the petitions, he prays for protection for his disciples. He prays for their sanctification. He prays for their um, unity and their glorification. So he mm-hmm. wants them to be brought to glory. Okay, and that's those are the things he prays for. So those are kind of the that's the way I've structured this series okay. around those. All right. So Jesus starts by praying for himself, and he prays for his own glory. Mm-hmm. And so you said that this sermon is three revelations about the glory of Jesus. So we're right. going to discover some things about the glory. And um, it gave me a lot to think about. I was still thinking about it yesterday afternoon. Mm. Um, and I think that what you did really helped to um, kind of clarify, uh, solidify what glory means. Mm-hmm. And so it was helpful in expanding, and, and I was thinking about other passages um, while you were you were preaching. So, um well, let's see if we can talk about some okay. of that. All right. So uh, the three revelations about the glory of Jesus, I've got them written down here. Jesus's glory glorifies the Father. Mm-hmm. Um, to know God is to experience the glory of Christ. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus's glory is eternal. Yes. All right. That's so let's, so let's, let's jump in. Verse one, Jesus's glory. Well, first, let's, let's, read, the, read, let's read the passage. <laughs> okay. yeah, I'm that's just nice. so eager. I just want to jump <laughs> right in. Let's, uh, yeah, let's read, let's read, let's read the passage. Right. Okay. Uh, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Okay. All right. Now, let's (laughs) jump into verse (laughs) 1. Let's jump into it now. uh, All right. So Jesus' glory glorifies the Father. Mm -hmm. All right. Tell us what's going on here. Well, I think, you know, first thing that you see is that Jesus begins to pray for himself, Mm -hmm. and um, he's... And, and no one else could do this. Just think, is there anyone else in the universe that could ever pray to God, hey, God, glorify me? Right. You know, so, so right off the bat, we're getting into uh, thinking about correctly about the person of who Jesus is and mm-hmm. his divinity. Uh, but the, the next thing we notice immediately is though this theme dominates, 
verses one through five, Jesus is praying for his own glory. Yeah. Uh, the first thing we see, like it, it's obvious, is that Jesus is praying for this glory for himself because his glory is going to glorify the Father. Okay. So glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. All right. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to define glory. Mm-hmm. And that's those are one of those words, um, you know, Christianese yeah. that we use all the time. And uh, we don't really stop to think, what is glory? Mm-hmm. So define it for us. What what in the world is glory? Okay. Well, so the Old Testament word for glory, it, it means something like heavy. Mm-hmm. Heavy, um, honor, splendor, um, riches. Mm-hmm. can mean riches. Okay. And weightiness. Okay. Right. So... It's interesting if you talk about an earthly king's glory, you're referencing his wealth, okay, and his wealth and his gold and that stuff's heavy, <laughs> right? So, you've heard the term that a person's worth their weight in gold, mm-hmm. and so when speaking of God's glory, his heaviness, it means literally that he's worth more than anything in the mm-hmm. universe, and he's worth more than anything or anyone in the universe. He's more valuable. Um, He's more glorious, so he's he's heavy, he's weighty, and the glory um, is interesting because it's we think oh it's always light, it's revealed as light, but that's not always the case. Sometimes God's glory comes in a thick black darkness mm-hmm. that's too heavy yeah. for people to approach Him. Right, you know, like you can't get close to Him because of this thick darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, there's smoke, there's fire sometimes. Um, the, the Shekinah glory, the radiance of his brilliance. So these things are all in the Old Testament. Um, the radiance of his glory as it's seen in, uh, I guess you'd say, in a, the time-space spectrum of light. Angels hide themselves. From right. Unfallen creatures can't even look because his glory is so brilliant. Um, and this is in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, the term doxa is used, where we get doxology from. And... Uh, that's a New Testament word that's used, but they use it's used in the New Testament in the Greek because it's how uh, that's the same word that was used in the Septuagint. So the Septuagint was around when Jesus was uh, ministering on the earth, and the term that term for heavy kabod in um, in uh, in Hebrew was translated doxa, but in the New Testament it starts to take on an idea of praiseworthiness. So if there's glory. That means you're worthy of praise and honor, and it's also can be seen as brilliance, as radiance of light, um, things of that nature. And so that's why we, you know, we sing the doxology. We're offering praise. Okay, Um, that's glory. So if we combine it all, it kind of means something like the outward revealing of God's worth. God is brilliant, God is honorable, God is splendorous, he's majestic, he's worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. Okay. Because of who he is. Before he ever does anything, he doesn't even have to do anything, Mm -hmm. simply in his being. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Now, Moses wanted to see God's glory. Yeah. Right? In Exodus. Mm -hmm. Show me your glory. Yes. Yeah. Um, And you, you... Reference this. Yeah. Um, 
So maybe that gives us a little bit of a picture of what God's glory right. is. Mm-hmm. So what exactly happens? So he's, you know, of course, yeah, you can't look upon God's face and live. No man right. can see God's face and live. So he says, okay, I'll put you in a rock, a little cleft of a rock. I'm going to put my hand over you and sh- and cover you from my glory and pass by you. And after I pass by you, you can see my back. Uh, I had a Hebrew professor once say, um, of course, that the term back is just like a, uh, what's the term, where we're... Uh, um, an anthropomorphism. He said, mm-hmm. in reality, right, right. what God is getting at is I'll let you see the after effect of my radiance because mm-hmm. you can't take the whole thing. Yeah, no one can. So that's what he does. And then, but while he passes by, he says some things. That's the important thing. He says things about his own character and nature. Yeah. So he reveals himself. So let me see your glory, okay? And he reveals the truth of who he is. Yeah. And so in Exodus thirty-four five through eight. Um, God passes by before him, he proclaims his own name, and he says, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions uh, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Mm. And then there's like, a, and you brought this up a few weeks ago, a big conundrum. <laughs> yeah. How's, how can that be? Right. Yeah, this is the big puzzle of the Old Testament. Yeah. Right. How can how can God punish sin while at the same time um forgiving mm-hmm. sinners? Yeah. And so that that carries us through the Old Testament. Yeah. Um so we have Moses who sees the glory mm-hmm. in this revelation of who God is. But we have something better, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have the answer. We get the answer. <laughs> the answer kind of is hanging there for a thousand years. Yeah, <laughs> and they 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 have this hint of it. And mm-hmm. you brought it out in the temple sacrifices. God is punishing sin. Yeah, but He's forgiving sinners at the same time. Mm-hmm. But they still are anticipating something greater because they have to keep bringing yeah, yeah. the animal sacrifices over and over and over again. I mean, you, you look at the the description of the sacrifices in numbers, and they're, they're sacrificing around the clock yeah. um, for sin. And so they, they, they catch a glimpse of it, mm-hmm. um, but they still are anticipating something greater. Like these animal sacrifices can't go on forever because they're not they're not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> they're not they're not doing the trick. Um but we have the answer in the in the New Testament. Yes. Yeah, um, so what what is the answer, of course? So the answer is is found in the cross. Mm-hmm. And this is why Jesus prays because God's glory is tied to a revelation of who he is. Okay. Um God wants to be known. Um it's and so this came up, you know, a little bit in in my uh, well, a lot actually in my dissertation and in, in our look at the problem of evil. God can create any universe He wants, any. And so the the main driving thesis is this universe exists because it's the best universe because it contains the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so to behold God as one who would incarnate die for sinners, rise from the dead, and give salvation to a people is better than any 
other that God could have made. He could have made any. And this one, uh, it, the one that exists, exists because it manifests His glory fully. Um, and that's a great gift to be given, to be able to behold that glory. And so this is what really what Jesus is praying for. He's praying for the, for the purpose for which the universe was created, mm-hmm. and it was created for His own glorification. Yeah. He's praying for his own glory. The cross is coming. He could have prayed for anything. Yeah. And he does pray as he gets in the garden, it gets closer. But here he prays for his own glory, that he would be glorified. Yeah. Because tied and then tied to his glory is the glory of the Father. God's going to be revealed here in a way that he has not ever been revealed. Right. So when we look at if we want to see the glory of God, all we have to do is look at the cross. Yeah. That's that's where God's glory is most clearly revealed yeah because that's where all of his his character yes all of is, his character is fully re- displayed fully revealed yeah in that he he does punish sin fully he does um it, it reveals the um extent of his hatred against sin mm-hmm. that the only way that sin can be dealt with is in the death of the son yeah uh, but it also shows his infinite mercy and grace and love because right. he he forgives sinners. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, yeah, so we we see the glory. So when when you were you were talking about this, I, I could just hear people, um, the unbelieving world, when when they hear that Jesus prays for his own glory, saying, "Isn't that selfish? Yeah, isn't that just the most <laughs> selfish thing? Right? Because if if I were to pray, God glorify me, mm-hmm. you would rightly say, well, <laughs> that guy is out of his mind." If he thinks that that is an appropriate prayer, mm-hmm. how is this not a selfish prayer? Because of who of who Christ is, um, if he were to pray actually for the glorification of, of uh, or to be about the glory of anyone else other than himself, he'd become an idolater. Mm. And because he's the greatest being in the universe, he must seek his own glory. Yeah. And tied to his glory, because of the Trinity because of the nature of our Trinitarian God, for Jesus to receive glory is for the Father to receive glory. So in the cross, you know, we see Jesus. He's, he's dying for sinners. We see his perfection. We see his perfect obedience to his Father. We see Jesus' love for sinners. Uh, we see Jesus' bravery. We see that um, he loves his Father. He loves his Father. That's ultimately why he goes there. Yeah. Because... Um, he wants the world to behold the glory of his Father, and so he knows the cross is the place where this will happen, mm-hmm. and he wants his Father glorified. Yeah. And so then simultaneously, as we behold the glory of Christ in the cross, we can see that the Father is he's loving, that he would send his only Son whom he loves to die for us. That's John 3.16, right? That's how much he loves sinners. And we see God's mercy, we see his grace, we see the wisdom of God and that he destroys the work of the devil by using Satan's own schemes against himself. And we see that God is just. He doesn't pardon the guilty. Uh, but we see he's merciful and gracious and that he does pardon the guilty after he punishes their sin in Christ. And so the answer that of the Old Testament is found. It's all found here. And yeah. so for Jesus to pray this prayer is to pray for uh, his glory uh, because he wants the Father glorified. Um, so it's not selfish. It's not a selfish prayer. And the glory of Jesus is actually the best news that we can we can hear 
because he's he's glorified in the cross. And it's actually his glory, for his glory and the Father's glory to be revealed, is the greatest gift he can give to a people. Right. So God is the best gift giver. He can't give a better gift than anything else. Imagine right. if you had the best gift in the world and you could share it with someone that you love, and you're like, "No, nah, I'll <laughs> keep all of this for myself." Right. My, you know, it's my precious, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. But God says, "Look, yeah. y- you want joy in your life? Well, look how great I am. Mm-hmm. Your joy will be unending right. if you'll just simply behold my glory." Yeah. So that's all. Yeah, that's good. I, I as you were going through it, I, I just kept thinking about second Second uh, Corinthians three and four, where um, Paul is talking about the glory that that Moses had, mm-hmm. that, that he covered his covered his face. He was he was glowing after he came down from the mountain mm-hmm. after seeing God's glory, mm-hmm. and he just saw he just saw kind of the the after effect of of yeah. God passing by and, and hearing, I mean, he's he's hearing um, the gospel mm-hmm. in you know the it's kind of infant form mm-hmm. um, that God forgives sinners but He punishes sin. That that's the gospel. Mm-hmm. He's hearing it and he comes down the mountain and his face is glowing. Um, but Paul says that we've we've seen God's glory. Yeah, like we we haven't just seen the after effect. We we've actually beheld the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That's right. In His cross, we've seen the glory of God. So, the glory that we have experienced is better than Moses. Mm-hmm. And so, if His face was glowing, what's going to be the effect of mm-hmm. on us? Yeah. Right. Um, and I just kept thinking about that, and and it was just um, I mean these these are deep truths that we can just meditate upon, mm-hmm. um, and and just keep going back to that that the glory that is seen that that Jesus is praying for is the glory that is fully revealed at the cross. Mm-hmm. And it's the hour. That's why it says the hour mm-hmm. has come. That tells us this is the predetermined moment right. of all moments in all of history. Yeah. It's an appointed hour before the creation of the world that there was the covenant of redemption as is often spoken of uh, between the the Father, Son and the Spirit. Right. The Father has a people. Get into this a little next week. The Father has a people. Jesus says, I'll die for those people. And the Spirit says, I'll apply the work of Christ. This is the appointed hour. So we and we've talked about this when we went through the the um the series on evil and suffering, that this, the the cross is the center of all history. Mm-hmm. This is the reason why God spoke in the beginning and said, let there be light. Mm-hmm. It was all leading to this moment. Mm-hmm. And every moment after that is always looking back to the cross. Mm-hmm. That's, That's amazing. Right. It really is. Um, it's it's um, you know you get people that just walk around with little cross necklaces and they they just don't even know the significance of of this object. Right. That it's the center of all reality. Right. It's all centered on this. Yeah. Um, right. So we we would never we can never exhaust the depths and the riches of the cross. We can only meditate upon it more and more and more mm-hmm. yeah that's right all right so um the second point is that to know god is to experience the glory of christ yes this is verses two and three okay and so one through five the, the theme is the glory of of god or the glory of christ mm-hmm. and of the father so the question might be is like well it seems to be a deviation. He starts to talk about since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all he, whom you have given him this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So it may be like, well, what does this have to do with the glory of Christ? 
And I think, um, well, number one, you could go down to verse 10 and you could find the answer that Jesus is glorified in his people. Verse 10 says, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So that helps us to understand maybe a little bit better and to look in greater detail at verses 2 and 3. Here's what I think is going on. Uh, Jesus is glorified in giving his people eternal life. And eternal life then itself is found in beholding God's glory uh, in a personal, relational way. I felt like when you were preaching on Sunday that you were... um, just doing the podcast from Friday all over again. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, we talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> because we talked about, uh, yeah. you know, Steve Harvey yes. saying there's got to be, there's got to be, be another way. There's got to be, you know, all these different ways. Yeah. And, uh, and then William Lane Craig's response is, right. well, there could be people who are beneficiaries of Jesus's atoning work who don't even know it. Um, this verse just blows both of those right. those opinions away, right? Yeah. Like those those views um, cannot stand under the weight of verse three. No, because no, there's there is only one way mm-hmm. to have eternal life, and it has to be explicit, <laughs> right? Like it's not yeah. you don't accidentally wind up with eternal life, <laughs> right? It it's it has to be explicitly through this one way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, just, I mean, I would encourage people to go back and listen to the, the last free for all. Yeah. But think about what verse three is saying, because when people talk about eternal life, they often are, are referencing heaven. Yeah. They're, they're referencing a location or a state of existence, um, outside of the body. Right. But that's not what eternal life is here. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can't. It's one of those verses that you just can't really mess up. Right. It's very clear. Yeah. This is eternal life mm-hmm. to know God and, and the only true God to and know I, Him. You know, I told I told you before we started that Julia had to remind me to take notes. Yeah. Because I had my I had my Greek New Testament in front of me, and I was I was trying to translate while you were you were um, doing your intro. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I noticed is when you get to verse three, because verse two says that He's given. Um, you've given authority over all. You've given to him all authority, authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And then verse three says, "And this is eternal life." And what I notice in the Greek is that the article is in front of eternal life. Mm-hmm. So it's this is the eternal life, or yeah. probably more more appropriately, this is that eternal life. Right. So the the eternal life that you've given, this is it. Yeah. So he's expanding on what eternal life means. Yes. If if you want to know what eternal life is, here here it is. This yeah. is the eternal life to yeah. know to know God. Yeah. And to know Jesus. Yes. Um now when we think about that word to know, mm-hmm. we can often kind of reduce that down to head knowledge. Yeah. But that's not what's going on here, right? Right. right. Yeah, it's not. Uh, the word and we've talked about it before, what does it mean to know? Mhm. Um, and it's like a, it's a it's relational language. Adam knew his wife Eve, right? Right. And it, but it's not simply. We can't think of it simply in that sexual way either. Right. It's like uh, it's like a father would know uh, their child, mm. and the, uh, like in a good relationship. Some people have terrible relationship with their father, but if you have a good father, um then you know having a good father, that's a precious relationship. Mm. It's a child is safe with his father. 
father loves their son. And so it's a very intimate relationship okay. to know someone, right? Um, and then also the Bible uses the term of what we're the bride of Christ. So how does a husband know their wife? Mm-hmm. Well, they love them with everything that they are. Yeah. And the same is reciprocated. So to know someone is not just head knowledge. Tons of people know stuff about God, and uh, and they don't. I mean, Satan knows everything about God. He hates him, right? The illustration I used was, you know, people know tons of things about Donald Trump. That doesn't mean they're his son. <laughs> All right. You know, you don't and, get you don't get his inheritance. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You uh, so, tons of people know stuff about him. And they hate him. Same thing with God. Um, and this knowledge of God to, is to be brought into this intimate relationship with Him. So God becomes your Father, Christ becomes your Lord, Master, and Brother. Mm. He's spoken as our Brother, our faithful High Priest. We're adopted into the family of God. And Jesus says He gives this. This is given. He has authority over all—we'll talk about this next week a little bit—all flesh, that's all humans, mm. all humanity— to give this eternal life to this group of people. Okay. And uh, it's a peculiar people, and he gives this life to these people. And it is a intimate relational knowing. And that's that's something altogether different. Right. And this is eternal life. Mm. So there's not there's not more than one way mm-hmm. because the only way is to to have eternal life is to know God and Jesus. Right. So yeah, you you've got them both together, the Father and the Son, because there's there's a lot of people who would say, well, I'm, you know, I believe in a God, uh, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Mm. Well, to know God is to also know Jesus. So you can't you can't divide the two as if, well, I can I can believe in God and have eternal life, but you know, I'm not too sure about Jesus. Right? Like you can't you can't Can divide I? the Father and the Son. No. Um, and it's explicit. It there, is. There's not accidental Christians. There's not right. people that have eternal life that have never heard of Jesus. They're not beneficiaries, like yep. William Lane Craig says. To have eternal life is to know God and to know Jesus. Yeah. And that that has to happen intentionally. It has to happen explicitly. Mm-hmm. Um and ag- again to uh, you know go back again to to Friday that that eternal life is it's not simply a destination. It's a it's a person. Yeah. It's not it's not a location. Yeah. It's it's a relationship. Mm-hmm. That's right. And yeah. um, we, we would do good to think about that. Yeah, that's right. Because people think, you know, streets of gold and, oh, I got a mansion waiting for me. Uh-huh. Who cares about a mansion if Jesus isn't there? That's right. <laughs> Jesus is Jesus is the, mm-hmm. he's the one that we're, we're trying to cross the finish line to get to him. Yeah. Um, and so this is, this is what eternal life is. Right. And so we get to experience this glory. Well, I mean, we'll talk about it more mm-hmm. um, as we get further down that that we're going to be sharing in this glory. That's right. Um, but we, kind of a kind of an introduction here mm-hmm. is that um, the, this is experiential right. relationship that will 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 share in this glory. Yeah, you know, uh, what happens when you're converted is, you know, people people hear the gospel all the time and they know about Jesus, but when someone becomes a Christian, they actually 
see Christ for who he is. Mm-hmm. And you can't you can't look at Jesus as just one God among many or just another religion or somebody that helps me become a better person. Yeah. And then all of a sudden go, "Oh, he's actually the most valuable person in the universe. I'd do anything to have him." I'd sell all my possessions and follow him. Yeah, I'd leave my family behind and follow him if that's what it takes. Like you don't that snap you don't snap yourself into that, right? Right. One day the Holy Spirit um, comes and removes these blinders from your eyes, and you actually see him for who he is. He's always been all of those things, right? Yeah. You're just dead in your trespasses and sins, and you can't behold him for who he is. Yeah. And so when Christ, as he says, "I give eternal life to all whom that you have given to me." It's beholding the truth of who he is in the cross. You see the cross for what it is. Oh, God's glorious. He's wonderful. I want him. Yeah. And so that's why I titled this section, um, To Know God is to Behold the Glory of Christ. Yeah, I think that there's um, some envy when we think about uh, Saul on the road to Damascus. He sees the risen Christ. Mm -hmm. And... um, we think, well, why couldn't why couldn't I have an experience like that? But what we have is the same experience. Yes. Like we, if you if you've trusted in Christ, you've had that same experience. God has opened your eyes to see the glory of Christ. You you've seen it um with your your spiritual eyes. That's what he says in Second Corinthians three eighteen. Mm-hmm. We all right. with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Yeah. That's that's conversion, right? And that's when eternal life starts, right? That's it. That's, so we're, that's we're not waiting until we die to experience eternal life. Eternal life for the Christian starts at conversion. Okay, something you possess that's given to you. You don't, you know, when you die, you this is part of transitioning from one degree of glory to another. I think, right. uh, and we're really in a transition like that our entire lives. Yeah, the more we look to Christ, the more we're transformed into His image. It's a big jump, obviously, when we die, <laughs> right? Um, and then it's another big jump when we get our resurrected body. Mm-hmm. Again, another neglected doctrine right. um, of the Christian life. Yeah. And it starts when he gives you when he gives you this vision of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, um, like Paul says in Second Corinthians five, those who are in Christ are new creation. That's right. Like it's it's not they will be a new creation. They are a new creation right now. Yeah. So that has massive implications for how we live. Mm-hmm. If eternal life starts now, if this, if when you are converted, that's the beginning of your eternal life, um, that should affect how we live our lives now. It's right? the only explanation for how the disciples became so brave. Mm-hmm. They literally fear nothing. <laughs> yeah. They're absolutely fearless. What are, I mean, they're like the answer to them is like, oh, what you gonna kill me? Like, right? I'm eternal. I'm an eternal being now mm-hmm. because of Christ. Right. And so, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not stopping. It, it also should affect how we live lives of holiness. Yeah. Right. If, if this is our new existence, we we have begun eternal life now because we've seen the glory of Christ. Then we ought to pursue holiness. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, and you might want to start being around God's people. Right. Since you're going to be eternally with other people that are about Jesus. Yeah. Like, get around them now, (laughs) you know? And and if you've you've really experienced, if you've really tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you you really have seen the glory of Christ, then one one occasion of seeing it is not enough. Mm -hmm. 
right? You're you're going to want more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where are you going to get that? You're going to get it in God's word. Mm-hmm. You're going to get it through prayer. You are going to get it as you come and gather with the Lord's people on the Lord's day and you sing these songs that are are about the glory of Christ. Mm-hmm. You're hearing uh, God's word expounded and, and you're getting more of a glimpse of who God is. All of these things are are going to be these implications of you you're you're telling me that you actually have have had this happen to you, um, but you are perfectly fine sleeping in on Sundays and you have no desire to be with God's people. Yeah. Eh, I don't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's something's wrong. Yeah, something's yeah, misfired. Yes. Something, yeah. Um so if you if you've actually seen this and experienced the glory of Christ then one time is not going to be enough. You're you're just going to continually be pursuing this. Mm-hmm. You're going to be chasing after this. That's right. right. All right. So uh, Jesus' glory glorifies the Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, to know God is to experience the glory of Christ. Mm-hmm. And then finally, Jesus' glory is eternal. <clears throat> yeah. That's uh, verses 4 and 5. So uh, we can see there uh, in verses 4 and 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your own... Well, let me back up to 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So it may be helpful to start where it began. Jesus says that he has a glory that he had before the world existed. That's a massive statement. Yeah. And no one else could say this, right? That's right. He has to be unique. Mm -hmm. And again, goes back to John chapter 1. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, this is, uh, you can't read John's gospel um, for what what it is and end up becoming a uh, a oneness person. Mm. Yeah. You just can't do it. Yeah, I had with you. Right. I had this glory with you. Yeah. Um, Not, I had this glory because I was you. Yeah. Um, God, uh, God knows who he is, and he's revealed who he is. Right. And just because we have nothing in the world to compare that to does not change this fact that the Jesus, before he had the name Jesus, right. was the eternal son who was eternally enjoying the presence of his father. Mm-hmm. And he had the glory of his father. Right. A son is the glory of their father. And he had this great glory before there was such a thing as time. Mm. There's no time. There's no space. The only thing that exists is this great glory, in right. fact. Um, and he's always had it. Yeah. This is some, This is not something he gains because he's obedient, and therefore he gets glory mm. because he's obedient. Yeah. It's something he's always had. It's his by his nature. So Yeah. Um, let's talk about the incarnation a little bit because... He's not um, just shining forth with this unapproachable glory mm-hmm. in the incarnation. That's right. Um, what does that mean? What 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 exactly does this do to Jesus's glory in the incarnation? So does he divest himself of it? Is it is he just put aside his glory and he's not glorious anymore? What what exactly is going on in the incarnation? So when Jesus becomes a human. Um, I've heard it compared to this, and I think it's pretty good. When you when Jesus takes humanity onto his divinity, mm-hmm. it's like uh, Usain Bolt, who's the fastest man in the world. 
Well, if you tie him up to a little kid and put him in a three-legged race, uh-huh. <laughs> is he still the fastest man in the world? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, he is. Yeah. He still has all the glory of Usain Bolt. Uh-huh. Right? He's just taken on a little kid. Right. And that this is the same with okay. Christ. Uh, as he takes on uh, true humanity on his nature, he still is glorious. And um, I think he also intentionally has veiled that because the whole humans are fallen mm-hmm. not only hum, humanity the entire creation is fallen right we could not exist in his presence if he did not veil his glory from us yeah right so we we talked about the Isaiah experience of Isaiah's experience he beheld well he he beheld Christ in pre-incarnate Christ um and everyone would be having an Isaiah experience <laughs> right, like just Jesus always. Jesus is walking around, people are just falling over on the ground. It like kind of defeats kind of defeat <laughs> the purpose of the incarnation. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So his, uh, this this glory that he has, he, I mean, Paul says that he humbles himself. Mm. It's his humiliation. And uh, we don't grasp the, the, the reality of that, of that, that humble nature, okay. that humbleness, that humility, how humiliate, how humiliating is it? Right. You're taking on your own. You're taking on this mm-hmm. frail because yeah. he really is. He's not like walking around here like the man of steel. Yeah, he gets hungry, gets tired. I had a Muslim neighbor once. I was talking with him, and he said about the incarnation, it was grotesque. How beneath God would never do that. It's mm. too far beneath God. And so you're on the right track. <laughs> you understand it more than most Christians do. Right. You understand the incarnation. Yeah. Now let's keep going. Yeah, we don't. We don't. Um, we don't. We don't really grasp the incarnation because we don't grasp the glory of God. Yeah, uh, and this reveals again the massive love and grace that Jesus has for humanity, and that He would clothe, He, he would He would kind of hide His glory. He'd cover it up in our humanity, mm-hmm. and He would He would walk amongst us, and He would talk with sinners, and He would touch them. Yeah, um, He would He would break bread with them. And this is. This is massive, mm-hmm. and we just kind of, you know, yeah, right, right, toss it aside until Christmas. We pack it up in boxes until until Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Then we think about it a little bit. Yeah, this is this is huge. Yeah, it is. It's massive. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it on here before. I mean, he's he's not God stuffed into a a meat puppet, right? He's growing as a baby. He's learning his ABCs. Mm. He's learning how to walk. I mean, yeah. all of these things. He's like, how? It's like so beneath God, <laughs> right? Um, and he does it. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm. And so he, uh, in his earthly ministry, he still yet the glory is still revealed. Yeah, his ministry is to reveal the Father, and he does it perfectly, his entire ministry, through his sign miracles, through his teaching, through his proclamations. um, He was revealing fully who the Father is, and this ultimately comes to a head at the cross, and that's why he prays like it's accomplished already. I've I've glorified you on earth, having fulfilled the work you gave me to do. So we have this kind of sweep. These these two verses contain all of John's gospel. There's an eternal glory. He's left eternal glory humbled himself in this veiled glory, the glory of the cross, yeah. the resurrection, ascension to glory okay. that he had. So this kind of U-shape 
And it's just here in these two verses. Okay. But there's something that is um, unique about his glory that he's going to have in the ascension. Yeah. That he didn't have before the world began. It's pretty... It's pretty amazing to think about it, mm-hmm. really, actually. Yeah. He has this glory, it's his by nature. Right. It's intrinsic to who he is. But after the resurrection and ascension, he doesn't throw off his humanity and go back to his pre-incarnate form. Right. Um, there are, who, who believes that? The, uh, the lighthouse people, right? They believe he becomes Michael the Archangel. He's like he's like some spirit being. Uh, oh right? yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they believe that he he had a spiritual resur- resurrection. He had a spirit body, but his physical body is taken up to heaven. Or it, yeah. that, that that's not the body that he had when he he died was not the same body he was resurrected in. Yeah. So, uh, you know, contrary to that, Jesus rises from the dead in his actual human physical body. His body is transformed. It's glorified. It's uh, eternal, immortal. Yeah. Um, and he lives right now in that body. Right. So the the glory, the eternal glory, has taken on forever humanity. Yeah. That Jesus is someplace right now. Yeah, and that's pretty mind blowing to think about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it really. Jesus is. will forever be. What does the, this say about the God God's, man. What does this say about God's view of humanity? Um, I, I've said it before. Other than God's glory being, which is supreme in the universe, mankind is the most valuable thing that God ever made. Yeah, more valuable than an angels. Angels have no incarnation re- redeemer. Mm-hmm. They have no. God didn't die for them. Um, humanity is the apex of God's creation and so valuable that. In his eternal plan, in his infinite wisdom, he planned to take humanity onto his nature. Right. Not that we become gods, but that God took humanity onto his own nature to die for our sins so that he could adopt us into his family. Yeah. And uh, we, he's we, per, we, percon- we become partakers of the divine nature, is, is what Peter says. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and Christ, um, you know, eternally having a body. Um, that has some pretty major significance for how we view our bodies. Yeah, how we view other people. Yeah, there's a reason why we we decry abortion as this this you know abomination. Uh-huh. Um, because it's the destroying of a human body, mm-hmm. and Jesus in his incarnation and his eternal incarnation. Um, is testimony to the fact that God sees um, the human body as valuable. Mm-hmm. And this is important. This is not something that you just cast aside and yeah, and uh, you know devalue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason why you know things like pornography and and um, abuse of of women and and these are these are all terrible wick- wicked acts because. They all devalue the human body, mm-hmm. and uh, Jesus in his incarnation demonstrates the value of this. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And and it's also it's a foretaste to new creation. Mm-hmm. And he's got a body, so when you die, 
you'll be separated from your body. That's unnatural. Yeah. But Jesus and his glorified body is the, it's the guarantee you're going to have a body. Yes. And you're not going to be homeless. Right. <laughs> forever. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're going to be clothed with a new body like his mm-hmm. and uh, you're going to be someplace. Yeah. And you're not going to be just a spirit floating around on a cloud. You're, you're actually going to be someplace. Yeah. So all of these things, they just naturally flow from what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And so he's had this eternal glory. It's his. It's present in the Old Testament, which we didn't talk about here, but you can listen to the sermon. Yeah, Isaiah sees him mm-hmm. on the throne. Right. Um, other people see him too. Yeah. His glory is there. It's veiled in his incarnation. He returns to the glory he's always had. Yeah. It's his, and he prays for that. Yeah, I want to return to this glory, and mm. later he'll pray that we can see him. Yeah, where he is, right? As we're glorified, that that'll be the last sermon. Um, but yeah, that's that's what Jesus prays for. Yeah, um, and it has, I think, two. There are two massive implications from it. Okay. There are a lot actually. Right. But uh, two, I think the two biggest is uh, you can't have eternal life until you've beheld Christ. Mm. So you need to look to, look to him and yeah. see who he is. Um, and then the second one would be, that's obvious, that if the glory of God is like the main purpose of the universe, that obviously means that's my purpose. Right. Uh, what's the purpose of a human? To glorify God. Yeah. So whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Mm. Thinking about having a new prayer when we eat, you know, I think we may just simply get around and say, as we eat... Um, to the glory of God, and have my kids repeat it, yeah, and then start eating, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean, right? So mm. we right. should do it, yeah. Everything, soli deo gloria, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not just a trite phrase. It's not just cliche. Mm-hmm. Like everything is to be to the glory of God alone. Yeah, right. That's right. All right, Jay, it was good. It's good sermon. Thank you. Um, so next week, what are we what are we looking for next week? Mm. Verses six through. You oh, don't even know. Do I you? shot my Bible. <laughs> um, six through ten. Six through ten. Yeah. Okay. Six through ten. All right. Yep. Who Jesus prays for and why? Doesn't he pray for everybody, Jay? Well, you have to come back next week and find out. Okay, all right. Well, looking forward to it. (laughs) It'll be good. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this uh, today's edition of Text Driven Tuesday. Hopefully, it has been beneficial for you. I would encourage you to go back. If you you haven't listened to the sermon, go back to uh, Christ Fellowship Church's uh, Facebook page and watch the sermon, listen to it. Um, May it be uh, informative, but also may it be edifying for you as you are considering the glory of God in the face of Christ. And uh, that's our hope, that you'll that you'll see this, that you will experience the glory of God in the face of Christ, and that in beholding him, you are conformed more and more into his image. 